Welcome to the Interview Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Wright. Uh, with me today, I have artist and designer uh, out of Brooklyn, New York. He's the founder and owner of Shape Studio. Uh, his name is Jay McDonald. Uh, welcome to the show, Jay. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Doing good. Uh, I had to do the show from home today, which I don't usually do. I usually do it at my studio, kind of like you're doing. Uh, but there was just some stuff going on over there. So I moved it to the house. And then, of course, the one day our plumbing is backing up and we had to get some people over here. So I appreciate you uh, working with me on the time. I'm sorry I had to push it back a little bit. No problem. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course, man. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in your work. Uh, I saw you first through the Object Permanence show you did. I can actually see the, the lamp back there that you yeah. made. Or it's, it's, Sorry, it was a mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mirror is incredible, man. I, I saw that and it really stuck out to me. Uh, and that's when I, I think that's when I started following you. Uh, I actually did, I did the first Object Permanence show here in LA, uh, the candle holder one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm friends with, with Leah and Emma and... Uh, the the show that they've made is really awesome and i love cool. the, i love what they're doing with the with mm. their show yeah bring, bring so many different voices and ideas together around a small object and kind of like this this simplicity on a theme but the, all the different interpretations of it that they find are pretty amazing yeah it's it's really cool seeing uh different people interpret the you know the the one object and seeing how that plays out. How did that, how did you, your experience go with that show in New York? I mean, it was a great show. I, I, uh, you know, met a lot of people through it and feel like it's kind of like opened, um, some of the Brooklyn design community to me, um, which has been nice. And, uh, you know, I still have the, I still have the mirror. So, (laughs) <laughs> that part that part didn't sell but it was, right. it was very worthwhile in a lot of ways yeah it's it's hard to to pawn off these things that we make <laughs> uh i can yeah, I, end up, I end up with a studio and living space kind of surrounded by my own my own yeah. work sometimes and you know but uh i i can't stop so right. yeah. i'm uh i'm in the same boat there i've got a lot of very uh impractical furniture floating around <laughs> But you know, it's 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 promising that I feel like there's becoming more and more of a dialogue around this type of kind of you know ostensibly functional object, um, you know, and and the uh, allowance for furniture to be to be sculptured for furniture not to be functional for those lines to blur. So mm-hmm. um, I'm encouraged by that and. Uh, yeah. yeah, it does seem to be kind of crossing the threshold from people who make the stuff into like the general world, uh, just people kind of understanding what we're doing and appreciating the, the craftsmanship and the pieces and the creativity and the design. It, it does seem to be kind of catching on. So that's always good. And to me as well, like, you know, you introduced when you introduced me, owner, owner of Shape, owner, founder of Shape Studio and Shape Studio is so... I've in the past year, I've kind of like split my own artist practice from Shape Studio um, because Shape Studio, 
it's a it's a design fabrication studio. So right. we do a custom work for other designers and mm. And it was difficult for me to to kind of be both things at Shape Studio, be right. artist, designer, and also custom fabrication. And it it you know while like my while in my mind it makes so much sense that all of this is one thing, and in in reality it was kind of something else. And the mm-hmm. split has kind of really freed me to to think about my own work in a different way and to, and to think about the business in a different way as well. Um, is, is that kind of a recent thing or is that something you've been working on for a while? Well, I mean, I've, you know, I've had my own art practice for as long as I've been, you know, kind of a um, self-sufficient adult. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, it, it's ebbed and flowed in ways, but this is, it's something that's been consistent throughout my life. And, um, I, I was having difficulty doing it under shape studio as kind of how to, how to embody both of those things at once. Right. Uh, people tend, you know, as a, as a fabricator, someone, you know, I've spent many years getting really good at making stuff and, mm-hmm. um, it tends to be difficult to bring people into the conversation as like, oh, we make, we make things versus I conceptualize and create and play and, you know, experiment and design and, you know, this, this more art practice. So so the the split has been recent, um, at least like, you know, in terms of on paper and, um, you know, my personal design practice is also relatively recent. Um, oh, cool. I was doing a lot of, uh, like sculpture, sculpture and installation, uh, large scale sculpture, kind of immersive installations, um, mm-hmm. for a while before that. So. Yeah, I can, I could see how you'd, uh, maybe be kind of afraid of like pigeonholing your brand. If you're, uh, putting out your artwork through shape studio, you kind of, you would give people the wrong idea maybe and think that like, Oh, well I wanted to go to you with this really straightforward build, but it looks like you do this other sculptural stuff. So. And the reason I I brought that up in the context of our prior conversation is that like, you know, as, as shape studio, we build these designs sometimes that are like, to me just, wow, you want to spend how much money on this, like really kind of generic looking, um, minimalist thing and it's exciting to me that people are beginning to take uh some risks Mm -hmm. with where they how they spend their money and how they populate their their homes their lives and their environments um because that that you know it's a very conservative low risk kind of design world out there for Mm -hmm. the most part and to me, it's boring and to <laughs> me it's not something that I, you know, I'll make it um, I, for the love of like making really nice things. Yeah. But, you, know, you don't see the appeal when you could get creative with it. As an, as an artist, it's not, it's not really here or there to me. Right, right. Yeah, I can, I can see where you're coming from. And it's, uh, 
there's definitely a line, you know, you don't want it to look too crazy, but you got to introduce some, some spice into the environment for sure. Some, some of the, some of the like young designers out there, I'm amazed by the crazy, how crazy, crazy (laughs) they can get and, you know, and sell it. Um, And that's, you know, I love that people are pushing the envelope in that way. Yeah, me Um, too. I tend to, I tend to be, I think, Part of this is like also the fabricator in me speaking where like the kind of love of nice things that I, at the same time as I want it to be kind of weird and out there and never before seen, I want it to be really well made. Mm. I want it to be, you know, really kind of essential and have a certain like simplicity to it as well and a certain poetry to it. Yeah. It's not just like, you know, Oh, I carved some foam and ta-da. Um, so I think there's a simplicity um, that is that is strange, but also kind of like livable and and um, familiar in a in an unfamiliar kind of way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I can uh, understand where you're coming from with that. Um, yeah, I, I think what maybe also attracts me to your work is the um, coming at it from a maker perspective. Uh, I always feel better about designers when they know the actual, you know, industrial processes that they're working with, and they know how to make the thing. I always kind of, I don't know, it rubs me the wrong way design studios who don't really have a grasp of making objects. Um, I just think it's a weird, it's a weird place to come into design when you don't actually know how it's made. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I'm the same as you, I make all the stuff I design and I don't know, it, it just, I always get a weird feeling when people aren't making the objects that they're designing or at least know how to make it, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting to, to me, I, I think of it as kind of a blessing and a curse <laughs> where, um, you know, yeah, I can I can go to my my shop and I can I have all the tools, resources, and knowledge to build mm-hmm. some really you know wacky and also really like refined, do a really good job building it. That's what I do for other people too. So I can't mm-hmm. do a bad job. <laughs> uh, I physically am unable to. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> and. Um, but at the same time, I've, I've found it maybe more difficult as approaching as a, as a designer when you, already, when you already know all of the processes that are involved. For me, it can be paralyzing because I tend to think about everything at once and I have mm-hmm. an idea. I'm like, oh, but that connection, I get lost in these details and lost yeah. in kind of the... Uh, the, the physicality of the object. Mm, um, so you think it can be limiting that way? Difficult to take a step back and just just think about the gesture. Just think about this kind of general scope and this 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 um, this gesture that that you want to create. Mm. And yeah, so it's been yeah. a learning process for me to be able to to step back from the fabricator and into the kind of like art and design and just not think about 
not think about how it's made for a minute. Yeah, especially with kind of sculptural pieces like that mirror or like those cocoon things that you make. I could see how coming from a, uh, a fabrication point of view where that it's like a total change of pace for you because, you know, there's no right angles. It's all kind of up to interpretation. And uh, I mean, I, I don't know anything about sculpture. I've never worked in that medium. I'm basically just kind of woodworking, metalworking. Um so for me, looking at that, it's like, I don't know how to make that. Um, and I, I wouldn't know where to start, you know? So it's, it's interesting. Like, it kind of meshes what you were saying earlier. Like, you don't want these super minimal designs. Uh, but when you're fabricating, those are the easier things to make. Uh, maybe not necessarily easier, but more straightforward and kind of um, intuitive things to make. But uh yeah. It's it's interesting that you've kind of evolved your fabrication into this this next level of of sculpture. For sure, I mean, part of it is just I can't. I I love a good challenge, mm-hmm. um, and part of it is um, it's these forms are to me um, something that's very like essentially human, something that's in us from a kind of evolution in an evolutionary way. Yeah. Uh, And the fact that our society, so, so, I mean, in my mind, humans have these two sides of their brains, this intuitive side and this logical side, right? And all of our construction methodologies, all of our um, ways of, of categorizing and of building and of, of really like, you know, rationalizing the world are in these rectangles, in these boxes, but our intuitive minds are not that. And so to me, the kind of architecture and design that we predominantly live in is this kind of rational, logical side that is made really easy Mm-hmm. to do by uh, by the industry standards. Everything comes straight flat. And there's right. reasons for it. It's really, really reasons for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it makes it, so it bundles sense. together. And so <laughs> what I like to do is like, you know, take the sense, but then like, you know, make nonsense out of it and and to to push those those two sides of our brains and these two sides of our world, this organic chaotic one, this overly rational one and kind of stick them together and see what happens. Um, Mm, I like that. I like that perspective for sure. It's, it's a a really cool way to think about it when you're meshing those kind of rational and irrational sides of your mind. Where, where do you think those ideas are coming from? Like, where do you find inspiration for these pieces? Um, I mean, really, so it's, it's, it's the two, it's, it's kind of the, the viewer myself and, and the world it's humans and nature, but it really is like this dialogue between humans and nature. It's how they come together. Those tensions, those uh, harmonies and dissonances, the, the, you know, at times it's a beautiful kind of way in which humans and nature come together. And at times it's, it's strange. <laughs> and at times it's kind of abusive, um, yeah. you know, either or. And, you know, a lot, so 
I mean, a more direct answer to your question would be like, I spent a lot of traveling time traveling in my twenties and, um, both, both traveling just for traveling sake and doing pro projects in, in various places and living in various places around the world. And I think the, everywhere I went, the dichotomy between like nature and human between traditional and contemporary, those were the most fascinating things to me. And those, those are the things that I'm studying and exploring. That's cool. Yeah, I, that's really, it's uh, apparent in your work. Like I can see that like inspiration coming from human meeting nature. Um, I'm glad that that's not only something that I'm seeing in your work, but it's something that's actively inspiring your work. Um, I mean, you have, you've got the sculptural elements that have kind of natural flowing curves and the materials like that mimic nature. And then you throw in, you know, like the rectilinear metal and that's, that's the human element or the mirror that's a human element. Yeah. A lot of my, like some of my recent works and I have a new collection launching soon that is really studying this like kind of and the, the mirror that we've been talking about um, this kind of, I, I imagine taking a form and then taking an architectural section cut through mm -hmm. it. And, cool. you know, it's like, you don't know what's inside of that form. You know, it's a rock and then you cut it open and it's a geode mm -hmm. and full of crystals and it's full. You thought it was just a rock. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm exposing, I'm trying to expose like the interior and expose, um, kind of this, these secrets. Yeah. And, it's, it's also kind of like, uh, throwing a scientific approach at a natural thing. Yeah. 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 And, and just, and, and it's also like humans chopping the top off of a mountain. Oh, it's, yeah. also, it's also you know, abusive. Like you were saying, also that. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, man. That's, that's really, uh, it's good to hear you uh, say these things. I think it'll help kind of people determine where to find inspiration. Even if you're not, you know, feeling inspired, you can really understand that it's everywhere. Yeah. And I'm glad, I'm glad it comes out in the work. I'm glad to hear you say it comes out in the work as well. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's always hard. And, and I, I don't even really like talking about uh, like what inspires my work either. I, I try and leave it up to interpretation, you know, um, only kind of broadly exposing themes that, that are inspiring me, but sometimes it's, it's good to really break it down and uh, let people know that there really is something at work there. Yeah. And I, I enjoy it cause it actually, it helps me as well. And I also like, I approach design from kind of the lens of an artist and in, in a lot of ways where um, I do have these conceptual underpinnings and I, you know, and I'm purposely not heavy handed about it. Uh, it's purposely just, you know, a beautiful thing, hopefully, um, in the end. But there, there are these, I mean, the past 10 years of my life are, is gathering ideas and experiences that come into these pieces. Right. And so it's, you know, it's not just like, Oh, cool! This table is really practical. It folds, and you know, <laughs> becomes, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, 
there's there's so much there so it's um it's like simultaneously difficult but also i really enjoy right it's it's funny uh when people (laughs) like look at it on that surface level like you know friends family or whatever they don't really understand where you're coming from from an artist perspective and they'll they'll throw out little ideas like that like oh you should make this fold flat and it's like you have no idea the thought that I put into this piece and like recommending that I should change is completely like just ruining everything that I had planned. Uh, even though they're tr- just trying to help, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's been interesting too. Like I'm, uh, I'm part of a wanted design ICFF um, that's having a digital show coming up. And even in that arena, it's really interesting to like posit myself as, you know, a furniture brand. Um, it's been a really interesting like trip for me to, to uh, you know, put myself next to the, these folks who are, you know, companies who are, you know, describing themselves as, oh, just like bringing together luxury materials in a beautiful way. Yeah. <laughs> contemporary commercial brands and and you know i'm talking about all of these things <laughs> that we've been talking about. yeah temper myself how do i <laughs> <laughs> um but i'm kind of okay with and i'm kind of happy to be the, like this the, the the weirdo so you, you said um, you're, you're doing wanted design yeah uh have you been to that show before I have in past years, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I worked it a few years ago with the company that I was working at, and that was a really cool show. I, I liked it more than ICFF that year. Um, yeah, me too. That's why I'm doing it, actually. Yeah. It was really I interesting. Myself at ICFF, but there's like they're they're definitely trying to to push things in a more uh, you know in a less conservative direction. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, that I don't think you'll be the only one that stands out there is different. You know, it's, it was more of a a maker community and an artist community, I think. Very true. For the remote, remote show, it's combined with ICFF. So, you know, and so many people that dominates, Mm -hmm. but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of cool, um, artists and designers doing you know pushing pushing boundaries yeah yeah well i hope that goes well for you thank you when is that so it's gonna be i believe about a month from now is gonna be the the launch kind of end of october yeah cool awesome uh why don't you tell me a little bit about your background um i you know i just i've been following you on instagram but i really don't know anything about you (laughs) i don't share that much on instagram i'm getting better about it but um yeah so i grew up outside of philadelphia in the suburbs um and i went to college in middlebury vermont um Middlebury College, small liberal arts college, very bucolic, utopian, kind of idyllic, small college experience. And I studied architecture there. Um, And the architecture program there was like, it was not professional by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't learn any computer program there. Um, I learned to draw 
and make models. And to this day, I kind of <laughs> have that have that same have retained that spirit. Um, though I do use computer programs now. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. <laughs> and and yeah, so I I worked in architecture offices after college for for a couple of years, and uh, I was kind of. You know, and I was I was coming out of college. I was bent on becoming an architect. Um, and after a couple of years of working for architects, I decided that I did not, in fact, need to be an architect. Um, right. But the love of architecture and the way that it brings that that practice brings together art, science, poetry, engineering, mm-hmm. dance, like. You know, there's just so many disciplines that come into this and the fact that it kind of ends in a realization of a physical thing that people are in and experience um, that is something that has never left me. Um, and, but I, I, all through when I was growing up in high school, I worked construction and I had this kind of other side that just loved to build and to make things and to get my hands dirty. And so I, I um, started working at a metal shop and I was at a metal shop part-time and at an architecture firm part-time. And it was this very, for a while, it was this very funny kind of um, dualism of going to the metal shop three days a week mm-hmm. and, you know, every stereotype of a metal shop that you can have this place was yeah, <laughs> um, grimy and masculine and yeah, yeah yeah exactly and then the other three days a week i was going to sunnyside queens and working for this you know 60 year old woman architect listening to new york classical radio <laughs> and just this very like just completely opposite yeah. environment and, you know, and I love that. And that's, you know, what we were talking about before with bringing these, these kind of opposing forces together. I've always, I've always kind of held opposing things within me and tried to embody that. Um, but so I ended up really loving metalwork and I ended up work, working there full time and started managing that shop. Um, in the meantime, I also went, so, and then I, so, I also left, um, left Brooklyn for about a year in, what year was it, 2010, and I, um, traveled by myself overland from Beijing to Istanbul. Oh, wow. So that was a very like formative experience for me. Um, How old were you at that time? I was twenty-two. Yeah, 22, that's cool. Um, I guess I would have been twenty-four if it was two thousand. But anyway, around then, um, and so I, I, I mean, not only the natural beauty of so many places along that route 
but the the architecture, the the traditions, and the way that time has stood stood still in so many places, um, and the ways that kind of modern society was butting heads with, or overlapping, intersecting, dancing with uh, those traditions, and and that kind of there, there were these two time periods in a lot of places that, that existed simultaneously and, and coexisted in a really strange but beautiful way. Um, and so that, that was something that I walked away from and that, I, that I've carried with me for a long time till now. Um, and the other, the other thing that was really, um, that I've, that I've taken from that into my work and, and life today is I went, I went through a lot of, um, interesting geologies and places where geology, these geologies also met human intervention. So cave dwellings and, um, and the, I went to the Dunhuang Caves in Western China. Um, I went to a lot of different uh, ancient cave dwellings that in, in Turkey, Eastern Turkey. Um, and I mean, they, they just amazed me. Yeah, and I can imagine that would be a inspiration. And I, I remember very distinctly because I still, I still like constantly reference it with, with my work and my thinking is, was a place in Western China. It was this, um, there's a river that kind of split around this piece of land and it was this kind of teardrop shaped island and on it, people had dug down this entire city. Wow instead of building it up. So yeah. it was excavated from the earth and that space that we think of as positive becomes negative mm-hmm. and the walls that we think is as something that's put there is actually what was always there. Yeah, so that's interesting. These, these ideas of positive and negative space and excavation and, and um, all of that really kind of came came through that through that mm-hmm. trip um yeah some of my favorite kind of ancient ruin spots are places where they did a similar thing you know they instead of building a temple they'll carve it out of a mountainside that kind of you know like petra that kind of stuff um that i don't know something about that is really really interesting to me i think and i, I think it is to a lot of people and i think there's this i i mean i i really like thinking about this idea of an evolutionary nostalgia mm-hmm. where, you know, it's something in our blood. It's something right. in our genetic makeup that our ancestors created these places, um, lived in these places for, you know, centuries, millennia. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's something intrinsic and intuitive that just makes makes us feel, if not comfortable, moved by. Mm. Yeah, that's that's kind of the area that I try to tap into when I'm designing this kind of like 
it's like a timeless force of nature that's kind of guiding um, some sort of aesthetic, uh, you know, motif or whatever. That it's it's not really like I don't know. It, it's hard to fit into a category. It's almost just like intrinsically human. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think if you if you design from you know with the intrinsically human as your reference rather than you know name one name two name three name four mm-hmm. my opinion is that your work will be if not better at least much more unique and much more you mm-hmm. and have, have a, a real presence and a real personality yeah that's cool um so back to your your story uh you were well, then I, yeah, so then I ended up going, I, I had a, um, had a girlfriend in India, an Indian girlfriend living in Delhi at the time. And I, after that trip, I moved to New Delhi, India for a uh, better part of a year. And I worked for a small architecture company there, which oh, wow. was an amazing experience. At that time, I was kind of, um, I was at the point where I didn't want to just pass through places anymore. And I wanted to live somewhere and, and really get to know a place in a different way. Awesome. Um, so I lived there, worked, worked with, worked with people there, um, did some projects there. And that was also, that was also a very formative time. Um, that's so cool that you got to like make a mark on a place that's so foreign to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was the really, though I worked in architecture offices here, I felt like there, for whatever reason, I felt like I, the architecture that I was working on there had more of an imprint. Um, <clears throat> I don't know why. Maybe because it wasn't apartment buildings. It was actual like, um, building buildings mm. um you know um it wasn't pre pre it wasn't pre-existing renovations which in new york is primarily yeah everything um so yeah but it was i mean it was a fascinating time and just a a real like gradual growth of 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 my relationship to the place and to the people um, that just reminds us um, not to take home for granted, but also that, um, yeah, I mean, yes. India's India's uh, contains multitudes. So I can't, I'm not gonna try to sum it all up here. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, but it, it sounds like a really inspiring uh, part of your life for sure. Something that'll <laughs> stick with you. So that was the first of my, my kind of big trips out of the country, and then the second one was a couple years later. And I went uh, as part of a artist, architect in residence program um, to a small village in Ghana. And I lived there for six months, only the beginning of which was kind of part of this program. Um, and ended up doing staying in this village where I was for six months or so. And 
doing in a, a, a number of projects there, um, the culmination of which was a, uh, a house for kind of for this, this guy named Apoku, who was, is an amazing guy. Um, and there's so, there's so many complexities about going to a, a small village that just got electricity, <laughs> West Africa as a white person and yeah. saying, Hey, let's build using your traditional techniques, like screw yeah. concrete and metal roofs. Like let's do it your way, but like, you know, a little bit also my way, you know, right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just so loaded, um, which is something that I really learned out there. Um, what kind of materials were you using for that? So the house that I did with the Poku was, uh, I mean, it was a $0 house. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we went into the bush with machetes, cut down bamboo, raffia palm, um, and, and some other, some other, some vines and, you know, they, they, grow teak and cut it like you know it's like dime a dozen just a you know wow. teak tree uh, <laughs> but uh, you know trying to discourage but you know the the fact of it is um the biggest problem with their traditional buildings was the posts rotting in the ground really they don't, and so using a hardwood that's yeah. not going to by termites is really worthwhile Um, especially something like teak it's so strong and durable exactly um so and so it was that and earth and it's really where i discovered like the reason i was there was because i wanted to um explore earth earth building Mm -hmm. earth construction um so i spent a lot of time working with opoku and others in the village who were kind of you know experts at with those methods um and then yeah it culminated that house i built with him um and incorporated natural like passive heating cooling well mostly cooling system um incorporated like things that i learned about how people in the village live so there's you know almost half the house is an outdoor space Mm spend half their time in the covered outdoor areas Um, so things so so things like that and and the idea and you know tried to really make it well built i did a traditional bamboo roof the way they do but i also um ironed they there they instead of plastic water bottles they have uh, like these water sachets for drinking water Mm-hmm. So I ironed a sheet of those together and kind of wove it through the this BAM traditional roof mm-hmm. um, for an extra layer of water water protection. So things wow. like that that we're kind of bringing together, you know, just experimentation and ingenuity with um, things that are tried and true and that I learned. Yeah, um, that really sounds like the ultimate kind of test for... Uh, you know, being resourceful. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, that is, and that's where I fell in love with uh, kind of all things 
wet dirt related. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like I can say all these reasons why my work looks the way it works, it looks the way it looks, but in the end, it's like I just love the feeling of like smoothing wet, earthy stuff onto a curvaceous, sensual substrate. It's just yeah. the best. Like there's no, there's nothing like it. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, it, it's like truly down to the basics of making something with your hands. And speaking of like, you know, this kind of human essential, essential human quality, this, uh, you know, this thing that this timeless kind of thing mm-hmm. that, resonates with us i mean that's it that's yeah, that that's, primal connection. that's thousands and thousands of years of people doing that yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's, it's not the same as running something through a table saw <laughs> right right or i mean and and then so i have so i have this and then on the other hand i have you know metal fabrication yeah which is like <laughs> cnc as plasma cuts modern, as industrial as you get and mm-hmm. And again, seeing these kind of like opposing forces in myself and how those um, relate to these opposing forces that I try to bring through in the work. Um, mm. and, and it comes from like, it comes from the opposing force in myself because I pursued metal fabrication and I pursued earth. earth. Yeah. Because yeah. both of those things exist in myself, just like I think they exist in all of us to different, right. different degrees. Um, right. <laughs> um, do you have any photos of that house? I would love to see some. I do, yeah. I will, I'll you send have to you. email me some. I'll uh, include them on the Instagram when I post about this because that, that sounds really, really interesting to see. And uh, so following, uh, following Ghana, I, I met a Malian artist there um who invited me to come to bamako in mali um to to do a piece there and so i instead of taking a plane i bought a bamboo bicycle and i rode it from ghana to from my village in ghana to bamako wow how many miles over a month um and was (laughs) and during which time i got like completely enraptured by uh termite construction which is another kind of recurring interest of mine is social insects and kind of nest building um so arriving in bamako i kind of decided i wanted to build a termite termite mound (laughs) Um, but human scale obviously oh my god so I, the, the, the Malian artist who had invited me there um, set me up with a friend of his who had a, had a house and a big yard that he already had had like a couple of kind of experimental structures built in. Um, and he was willing to let me um, build my termite house. Just fuck around out there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, uh, so I made this massive... Uh, termite, I call it Le Termitière, uh, French, it's French for a termite house or termite mound. Um, and it, I did, dug a huge hole in the middle of like the hot season in Mali. Um, what kind of equipment did you have? A shovel. 
that's it <laughs> oh man so yeah i mean a lot of my a lot of my work became kind of from this point until when i and even till now became kind of like this endurance thing as mm-hmm. well kind of like just uh studying the the body and material and and space um mm-hmm. but well it, it's also an added aspect of the work it's like you know the pyramids wouldn't be as impressive if we knew that they used cranes right right mm-hmm. right and and it's something that i think imbues the work even in a you know very subtle way but it imbues it with a certain hand quality you know it, yeah. it, it with this kind of like you can feel the the sweat and the labor you can yeah. feel stuff in a work i think mm-hmm. certainly i can with certain designers that i see and i'm just like oh that's like so much work <laughs> right <laughs> you know? i love that i love seeing that like yeah. that it's like when you see, you know, old, old, old wood furniture with like fine hand carving. It's like, not only is it just a tremendous amount of skill and planning, it's just like, man, the amount of the, the hours put into this. It's just, yeah. 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 It's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. And uh, so, so I made, I dug this big hole and I used the same dirt that I dug the hole with to then uh, form these bricks. And I made three or four different size cylindrical brick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just used, you know, I just used, I made myself a pounding, a ramming stick. And cool. I used, uh, you know, a five gallon bucket with the bottom cut out. I used PVC pipe, like whatever was around. Mm-hmm. And just gradually created this. I don't know how tall it was in the end, maybe 15 foot tall and five feet deep. So when you're and you <laughs> go down this kind of spiral staircase that's cut into the dirt wow. and look up and there's these kind of like chimneys, these cantilevering earth bricks. <laughs> that's so cool. And yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, People are like, people ask me, oh, is it a house? Is it a, what is it? I'm like, well, it's a space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not interpretation. Function. It's maybe like it gives a cool place to have, to have your, your tea and your conversation in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's, and it's the same question. Like, does it have to be a house? Does it have to be that? Um, and it's the same question that comes into, you know, this furniture, this, this, this furniture world that's on the edge of, 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 of sculpture art as well. Like, oh, but like, you know, it, it's, is that a table? Is that a chair? <laughs> is it comfortable? <laughs> Whatever you want to use it for. And it's yeah. cool. All right. <laughs> right. It's always funny. You make a chair and someone asks you if it's comfortable. It's like, well, I don't know. I haven't sat in it, but that's not really the point. <laughs> that, that, that said though, I mean, I, it was, I mean, it was an experiment. In, I mean, the, the, the inspiration for it is functionality. I mean, right. it was like me just being astounded that, these giant sculptures that the termites are building in the middle of the desert 
um, are, you know, they keep their, they keep the interior plus or minus one degree, plus or minus 1% humidity day to night, season to season. Wow. Um, I mean, it's incredible, the architecture and engineering of it. Um, and to take some cues from that and try to kind of apply it to human scale. Um, so it was, it was as much an experiment in like the practicality and functionality of, of achieving something like that as it was a um, experiment in, in form and just making something cool. And a lot, in a lot of ways, the, the form came out of kind of, oh, I want to have these cooling towers. Oh, it's going to be partially subterranean. I'm going to use all the same material to, that I dug out to create it. And uh, the bricks have to go, I constrained myself by the, the kind of brick, brick types that I made, and they have to cantilever out and stack together in certain ways. So I'm really interested in, you know, and, and nature does the same thing where it, um, you know, kind of takes these, these building blocks or these uh, kind of this, this, these patterns, this logic, and then goes completely wild with it. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some examples of that. It's almost like um, it, it goes down to like a molecular structure of, of like forming rock, you know, it's, it's somehow bound by by geometry but then one when it actually goes to a larger scale it's like a free-forming thing that's kind of controlled by its environment uh, especially if it's you know water carving it out or air or sand carving out this shape that seems to be random but then if you look at it on a smaller scale it's like this kind of geometric quilt of molecules right right and the way that i mean when you were talking, I was thinking of crystals and, yeah. and kind of cave, cave stalactites and formations. And I mean, there's, there's the whole, and these geological formations like in uh, Cappadocia or so many places where, yeah, I mean, it, it's completely wild. Dr. Seussian, like <laughs> completely yeah. crazy sculptural things. But it's 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 come about because of the way that the rocks layered, because of the wind directions, because of the water flow, because of so all of these just kind of like you know normal constraints, these not these these regular um, this set of rules. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you know nature follows these rules, but they seem so illogical to us because we like things so uniform. And, yeah. And it's like, they're complex. They're, it's so simple, but it's, there's so much complexity. There's so much like minor variation that has large effects. And mm-hmm. that's cool. Um, so when did you kind of get to the point where you were being self-sufficient in your in your uh, company and you said you you were working at the metal shop and you eventually started um, running the metal shop. Did that evolve into shape studio or is that something? So when I came back from West Africa, I, um, I went back to work there for a little while and after a year or so started my own um, 
started my own company, which became then Shape Studio. Mm. Um, and I started out, you know, I started out as a one-man shop with, you know, I had no, I took out no business loans. I had no investor. Like, it was me in a kind of basement. And, um, and it must people, be hard in New York, too. I mean, it's so expensive to do anything there. And, you know, the idea, the idea was that, oh, space, I mean, I had a tiny space. It was a shared basement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the idea being that I could have a space for my tools and my, and basically my, you know, my studio, that it was my studio and that I'd also try to make my living doing that um, and do, do like, you know, these custom projects for people here and there and make art and do this and that. And so that's how it started. Um, and that's how it went kind of for, for some time. And I did various residencies and was in and out of the city um, and had did some, did some really great projects um, on residency in uh, North Carolina and Minnesota, Arizona. Um, but always coming back here and kind of like making, making my money. And, mm-hmm. and then uh, I, I kind of was like, okay, it's time to like start to put roots down here and not kind of be in and out so much because I, I was just feeling the, the, the exhaustion of that and feeling like there were a lot of things that I wanted to explore and delve deeply into here and give more of like a, a full force to. Um, so I, I kind of made that decision very synchronous with that decision. I, uh, I had a child. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, Some added pressure. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, <laughs> like, let's make this work. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that's that in so many stories, that's like the turning point when you decide like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go real hard now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was interesting because it definitely, you know, it definitely forced me to prioritize certain things against other things. Like, you know, I might've kind of continued to build really unsaleable, mm-hmm. uh, large scale earth sculpture, um, <laughs> which would be great, but you know, a lot of fun, but maybe not the most reasonable right. thing. So, um, and hopefully I can revisit that again soon. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I put a lot of energy into, into Shape Studio and building that into um, a successful company. And, you know, at, at its, I can't say it's at its prime post-COVID, but at its prime, we had... Uh, like six employees and myself and we're doing some really large projects. We've done a lot of uh, art fabrication for well-known artists and public art. And uh, also, you know, every lots of, just lots of, lots of cool stuff has come out of the shop. When I look back on all the projects that were done, I'm like, wow, like yeah, that much. Um, and, and it taught me a lot um, about, about running a business, but about making things, about um, other designers and other artists and how they work um, by working with them and how that kind of relationship between 
artist or designer and fabricator functions and the relationship between um, design and fabrication and also the, and, and the, the value of like having experts um, working on your thing as, as, as an artist where like, you know, I think in the past I would have said, Oh, I can like learn how to upholster or, right. you know, I can, I'll just figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, you kind of you understand kind of that. Like, oh, like I've been doing this for ten years, and I actually like finally start. I'm starting to know what I'm doing. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> I think uh, running a business, you kind of understand the importance of you know, seeking out professionals, and you see that, like, oh, you know, it, maybe maybe it's not really worth my time to to learn this new craft when there's this incredible craftsperson that could do it for me. Precisely, precisely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and, and it taught me also just about the, it, it, it kind of drove home this idea of the importance of artisanship to me, um, where I, you know, I perhaps always had <laughs> some neurosis around detail and things like being perfect, but the I, I was very into imperfection as well and I was very into like this kind of organic thing and it would be very easy to kind of go off <laughs> on that and like lose sight of the detail lose sight of the uh kind of like that that attention and that that craft um and it really like has forced me to to keep that in the forefront of my mind and and of my personal work yeah especially when you're you know making it for somebody else like you were saying earlier uh you you have to make sure that you're fulfilling what they're expecting right right exactly exactly and it's and it's fun now being like my own client with it like you know i love to complain about clients and how you know nitpicky they are but you know, when it comes down to it, I'm the worst, <laughs> my, my worst client. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That's funny. What, uh, you know, what have you learned in taking on a team? You know, it's, it's such a different thing when you're actually running a team versus running your own studio. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many things, um, that everybody has strengths and weaknesses and how to play to play to strengths. Um, kind of also for me, um, that it's really good to talk through things with people and actually like, it, it, I actually have found that I'm better when I don't actually build the thing, even though I'm quite good, the same thing that I've, that I've kind of conceptualized, you know, I'm, I'm quite good at building things, but I tend to skip steps and think that, Oh, like I know what I'm doing because it's out of my brain. Mm -hmm. And therefore like, I don't have to explain to myself that this is the front and that's the back and that gets welded on that side. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I tend to like skip um, skip uh, aspects of skip steps in the process um, when I'm when I'm fabricating my own work in a way that I don't when I'm kind of like managing the fabrication of the work. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely it's definitely taught me that like there is 
as much value in the fabricator as there is in the artist or designer as there is in the manager as there is in the assistant fabricator who if they don't do a good job sanding the whole thing is going to look like crap you know right. yeah so you see the value in the process yeah yeah that's interesting yeah that's i like uh what you said about kind of playing to each person's strengths uh, that's, I think that's a good way to, to manage a team. Yeah. That's cool. I'm very lucky to have a, a great team who's been with me for a long time. So they're, they're pretty much family to me at this point. That's awesome. That must be a really nice little community there. Nice. Do you find a lot of community in the design world in New York? Um, I, I haven't, I haven't to date, but, um, you know, like I was saying, I'm relatively new to the, the design world here. Um, it was kind of like art world and fabricator world. And mm-hmm. now I'm kind of bringing those, those bodies together into, into the design world. And I think I was just starting to, when, uh, when COVID yeah. kind of community became, of course, um, <laughs> but yeah, I look forward to to continuing to build it for sure. Yeah, um, that's one thing I'm I really. I have a great artist community, um, and that's that's been a it's been a big reason of why I'm why I'm still here for sure. Yeah, that's that's something I'm excited about with the podcast is to try and you know connect people that that you know have reason to but haven't yet connected. Um, I feel like there's so many of us doing kind of the same thing, but we're all so busy that we kind of stick to ourselves. And uh, like you and I probably would have never had this conversation if I didn't start doing this. So uh, it's, it's something that I'm excited about. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let me see what else I got here for you. I'm just looking through my questions. What are some of the most fulfilling parts of the career that you've built? Um. Oh, I guess getting to, you know, realize what's in my imagination. Um, that's, I mean, that's, that's the, the reason for me that I do what I do is like, I love to just make things real that, that, that existed only in a, uh, only in an intangible sense or in one person's brain before then. I mean, the journey from kind of something coming to you in your head to then drawing it, to developing it into something that could be real, to then, you know, making a list of CNC parts and cutlets, figuring out the materials, and then actually, like, making the thing and having it be there present in in your reality is like that's i mean that's again the most essential human kind of thing and that that's what gives me satisfaction on uh, what keeps me doing this um I've, I've tried to think about that translation from uh from thought to physical object and I, I was just thinking about it when you were explaining it's almost like it's almost like you're taking you know, a phrase and you're running it through Google translate six different times and seeing what comes out at the end. But for me, it's almost never exactly what I was expecting or what I had 
you know, we have like a flash of inspiration in your head and it's, you know, you see a final formed thing, but then to get to that thing, you have to go through so many different iterations and phrases. And that's like, that's the craziest, most fun thing about design for me is like, I mean, I can see it. Like I can see yeah, like just make it like you know you, you can never capture it in that moment so then when you and, have and to get there it's different and people who don't go through that whole process from there to there um i don't think i don't think understand mm-hmm. uh, i mean it, it it i mean just to draw just to draw it mm-hmm. Yeah, even it's the first step. Really difficult. <laughs> I mean, I can't draw the stuff that I make. Like, I yeah. mean, have drawings, but <laughs> but you have like twelve drawings that then have to all overlap and entangle uh-huh. in order to to create a three dimensional thing. Um, Tell me about your process now that we're kind of talking about this. What do you you know? when you think of a new object, what happens first? So I start with sketch usually. Um, and I do a series of sketches around an idea and like hand I, sketching just on paper Hand sketching on paper. Oh, I guess you said that's how you learned in your architecture. Yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then I, and then I usually work in model in, in clay. Um, oh, cool clay and and whatever else um the piece might call for um and like my latest series which is a new development for me is that i mean always it's gone from clay then to computer Mm -hmm. to fabrication um but the the latest collection that i'm that i've been working on has been then um 3D, 3D drawn in the computer from clay, which I've been um, slicing up my clay models, my scale clay models. Um, For those cross sections. Like cross sections. Uh-huh. Um, and then like tracing them, scanning them, and then building a 3D model from these layers. Wow. Because I mean, you okay, you have a clay model, and maybe I should invest in a 3D scanner, but I haven't yet. Um, and so then how do you turn that into a computer model? Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you can't just like measure increments and, you know. Yeah, and I, and I, and what I've done, you know, and so, so that's how, that's how this group of works has gone. And then it's kind of like made into a model and then re-sliced into these these pieces are like this table behind us is, is that uh, what that is it's a table it's a coffee table it's just on a table on a work table right now Sweet. but uh so i mean and then it's it's cnc cut out of three quarter inch plywood layers all like laminated together oh is that solid sculpted and skinned it is not solid you can't see right now but uh it has voids similar to how the mirror is so it's kind of you know it's maybe an inch thick like a wall thickness yeah that's cool yeah that's Uh, interesting i mean that is you know i go back and forth because like the um the mirror is much more of a free sculpted 
piece where I CNC came up with the shape by a sketch and put it in the made it in the computer, and uh, and then I kind of and then I had the circle and then I had the other shape and I and I just sculpted it with I wire with with steel rod mm. and I and then chicken wire and then foam and then plaster. Wow. And the, the, the trickiest part of all of it with my process is that I have these two elements in it, that I have this free form organic element and I have this like rigid contemporary clean element. Right. And bringing those two things together is like, that's the, that's what makes or break the piece to me. And it's like the hardest thing to resolve um yeah. so i'm still like you know kind of experimenting in different ways to to do that um and finding the best way for each piece is, is honestly a journey mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean it's they're totally two different construction methods so like you have to do this totally hand formed sculpt thing and then you have to have a flat surface on top. So yeah, and the edge, I want the edge to match it perfectly, you know? Uh, so it, it, it becomes like, yeah, it's, it's trying to mate two very disparate things in a very like harmonious way. Yeah. I, um, so I have a similar background as you. I originally went to school for architecture. I always say also, every furniture designer went to school for architecture. It's just, I feel like architecture, I mean, I'd say this all the time. It's just like a catch-all for people who want to blend like art and engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to school for architecture. I started working in architecture. Um, I never finished school. I dropped out after a little while, but I kind of did some low level architecture work and then I started making stuff. Um, but my my approach is so different. Like I never really learned how to draw. I have terrible handwriting, terrible sketching abilities. So I always kind of gravitate more towards the computer. Um, mm. So that like, you know, translating the idea from your head onto whatever it is, your medium, it's so hard and it's so like, you know it's such a a gamble like you never know if you're gonna capture it exactly how you want to and um, I mean I've gotten better at kind of doing quick drawings in the computer uh, but it's still like a constant struggle trying to get exactly what you're envisioning and it also I think it changes my process a lot to where I'm more kind of experiment in the computer to get to that final place Um, but yeah I, I come at it from such a different perspective like I do more more um like i search the internet for just whatever i think will inspire me at that time whether it's like a you know a picture of a house or you know something in nature a rock or you know whatever furniture from the past um and then i kind of blend these different things into an idea and then i sketch that into to rhino which i use um and then I go from there kind of similar to what you were saying. You take the idea and then you break it down into uh, what material am I going to use? What engineering am I going to use? Like, am I going to use mechanical fasteners? Am I going to make this out of wood? What kind of joints am I going to use? Um, 
And yeah, true. I think I, that's where we kind of. I don't. I don't do Rhino at all. Um, and when I say 3D model, I mean using my team's strengths oh, yeah. <laughs> and having having my my project manager who does Rhino. Cool. Uh, help help render them. Uh, but I can't imagine trying to start an idea in Rhino. Right. I mean, maybe it's because I don't know it, but it's like. <laughs> it's weird for sure i have so much information from other places that i then that i have him kind of like digest in rhino and mm-hmm. process in rhino but yeah i mean there's so many like ways to do things in rhino how do you even like begin yeah. to draw something? <laughs> I think you have to spend a lot of time in there before it becomes second nature for sure yeah. but um like i i will sometimes sketch on paper but it's usually like, you know, the roughest idea that I can just use is kind of a something to remind me of what I was thinking at the time that I can then interpret to Rhino um, or, you know, do you take have, a picture of something. Do you have pieces that kind of that look like your original sketch or capture like the original sketch? Mm, sometimes, but, you know, I'm again, I'm, I'm so bad at sketching that my sketches are usually just 2d yeah so you know i'll I'll sketch something in 2d that really can't you know be interpreted from 2d to 3d uh and that that's where rhino helps me where i can really envision scale and things like that um but yeah i know and also i don't really do much sculpture so most of the pieces i make can be you know quickly made in rhino whereas like you know your pieces are so kind of free form that that's the stuff that's like impossible to make on the computer yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's been it's been i've been like sitting with with peter as he's doing rhino and i'm like you know like it's gonna be a little (laughs) bit more like this (laughs) but there's so many iterations in the process it's i mean to get to to get to this it's it's you know the sketch to the model to the computer model which then gets tweaked and tweaked and then it's to the to the plywood which then i have another opportunity to tweak when i'm sculpting that to then having another opportunity when i'm doing the skin i mean it's like so many different like iterations yeah Uh, i mean this this piece has taken me like i've been working on this thing for six months oh wow (laughs) do you have some kind of there you know but do you have some uh, kind of model that you're or, uh, like a mold that you're going to use to be able to make another one well so it, it won't take six months when i make another one but uh no but it's something that i've been thinking a lot about actually that i'm like okay next next time i make it i make a mold and mm-hmm. then i figure out how to but then that also you know that it um changes the the way that is perceived because then the next one won't be handmade, you know, it's right? true. It's you want true. it to look slightly different then that's hard to do and hard it's to reproduce. It's true. Although there's, there's so many different ways that this could be finished and there, there's going to be, you know, no matter what, there's kind of always going to be some variation, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, that is something that I, that I, that I kind of like, struggle with or or wonder about where 
if um, what the value is in keeping each of them kind of like very like even if I cast them they'd still be handmade but this this kind of like very unique edition versus a more of a more of a standardized edition um, mm. but you know realistically I think like when it comes down to it the amount of amount of money I'd have to charge to pay yeah. myself decently to make these yeah uh, it becomes insurmountable um, so uh, um so I, I think you know part of part of the fun of design also is searching for ways to make efficiencies and that's something that shape studio has taught me as well is like okay you can do this 12 different ways but how do we do it in the most efficient way that's going to give the best result, but also for the least amount of like time. Right. I like you're designing the manufacturing as well. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's kind of dichotomous with this sculptural approach, but I think that's okay. Um, And I think it's something that like, you know, maybe I, it's not at the forefront of my mind, like, but when, once I make one, I'm like, okay, how do I do this? next time better mm-hmm. more efficiently so that I can, you know, I'd love for people to be able to, you know, I'd love for them to be within reach to people. Yeah. Um, and people aside from like the wealthy of the wealthy. Right. So, and obviously you know, that's relative. That, but... do that doesn't sacrifice the, you know, the intent I think is, is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd rather, I'd rather cast a bunch of these and be, you know, putting my creative energy into the next piece rather than me hand sculpting. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Um, what would be like a dream project for you? Like what, what do you envision as like the top of the mountain in your work? I mean, I'm all about environment in terms, not not in terms of nat- nature necessarily, but like in terms of creating an immersive environment. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, my dream project would be to create an exterior, interior, and furnish the entire thing and just like, you know, not care about the functionality necessarily though i do love those constraints that come with that but right you know may, something uh something like a boutique hotel where you do you know, every aspect of it yeah i mean an immersive an immersive space i mean that's that was like what i was creating doing these big installation art things and and like the termichair and i mean i love the experience of seeing something from the outside, walking into it, yeah, interior experience, and I and and I love like uh, the idea that this furniture and these objects are also um, part of a world and to create a world with them and for them. Um, yeah, that's something that um, that's something that's really cool about doing like. Uh, like movie production design uh, where you get to, you know, create this false reality and you get to decide all of the tiny details that, you know, wouldn't normally exist. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, to create just this alternate, I would say alternate reality um, and to take us out of our um, kind of everyday boxes mm-hmm. and, and put us into some, this, this other kind of surreal space that, and I mean, to me that it's psychological as well, like how that makes us feel. Does it make you feel uncomfortable? Does it make you feel like excited? Does it make you feel like you're to- like totally at home? Um, uh, the psychology of space and object and yeah. uh, anatomy and environment is really fascinating to me. And I, and I mean, I, I fell in love with architecture. I fell in love with with art, not looking at paintings on the wall, but like walking through Richard Serra's sculptures and, um, you know, going into Louis Kahn buildings and like just, you know, the... Something immersive. That, that experience is what moves me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, for me, like this, that's part of the reason I started making furniture is because it's, it's not like installation art. It's not fully immersive, but it is interactive. Yeah. It's something you live with and it, you know, brings its own kind of personal, uh, personality into your life. Is interesting. Yeah, and it's something that you relate to in a different way because it's not just a something that you look at. Mm-hmm. It's something that is used. It's something that's touched or sat on or eaten off of or whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's super personal. Um, yeah, that's cool. Uh, this is you were mentioning like the kind of psychology aspect of uh, immersive art, and it's. It's something I've been talking about a lot lately. Uh, I had a podcast yesterday with um, a woman who founded a company working in space architecture. So they're like designing, uh, you know, like space habitats and spaceship interiors and uh, even just like harsh environment uh, places on earth and all that kind of small living stuff. And we were talking about the, kind of um, psychological aspects of that and how when you're in these small environments in particular in like confined spaces where you know you can't leave you can't get out uh, tiny tiny things make a huge difference Uh, something like the texture on the wall that's next to you because you're so close to it and you're so confined and uh, you know like using patterns that can you know, change your mood or colors that dramatically change your mood. Um, even things like temperature and smell when you're in those like extremely confined habitats, uh, they, they give us such, uh, you know, it really plays on like our humanity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know when I go into certain places, <laughs> I just feel this like, this like visceral kind of claustrophobia or terror or something like um, that I just want to get out. <laughs> yeah. Or or the or the alternative, you know. And you, likewise you the alternative. into nature and it's just like, oh, this is life, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so yeah, I mean it's our it's our job, I guess, to um, 
and, and I think like there's those two extremes, but there's mo- much of it is in the middle somewhere and it's not so obvious and it's not so like hitting you over the head yeah. and so much so that like most people don't really notice, I think. Um, right, it, right. It all kind of blends together. Long-term, subtle psychological effects of space. And we're also so used to kind of the spaces that we are used to being in and seeing right. that we don't realize that, oh, this is actually having a psychological like impact on me. Mm. Uh, and then if you go and you live in an earth house for, you know, a year um, and you come back, you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do I live in a white box? <laughs> yeah, like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I better build a cave for myself ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, what, uh, what do you think about living in New York? Like, after having these dramatic, uh, like, natural environments being part of your life, uh, what what draws you to New York and do you, do you like it there? Do you plan on staying there? Um, I definitely, I mean, I definitely like it here. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. Um, and I mean, part, you know, coming back here after from, from West Africa was like a trip and I really wanted to keep making this, doing this earth stuff. Like, okay, well, how do I do it here in a way that makes sense? Like, nobody's going to let me build a, you know, I can't build a, like an earth house in, <laughs> in New York that's like, you know, actually livable. So I was making these, like, inst- that's where the installation stuff came from and, like, playing off the dichotomy between the traditional and the and the urban. And, like, you know, I mean, it's so, like, just that idea. You laughed, or I like that idea. is so funny of, like, having those that kind of structure in this urban context is like i mean it's amazing i mean it's funny but it's also like powerful and ironic and has so many ideas and concepts and um you know uh analyses kind of wrapped up into it um so that's what i wanted to do and i think and, and i think being here but kind of letting that worm of kind of like natural architecture and the earth and nature kind of like worm its way into my urban experience and just like be present in my urban experience has been something that's like allowed me to to create the stuff that that I am now um and I love New York for you know I mean it's it's, it's density it's energy the people I've been here for over 10 years, like, you know, it's my home. Um, will I be here forever? Probably not. I'll probably go, I'll probably find some nature again at some point. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned maybe, living in Vermont, you know, maybe my, my design language will kind of like flip where like then the <laughs> other thing will become dominant or <laughs> whatever. Like, yeah. Um, but you know, again, they're both there. Like the the op- opposing forces are both there, and I, I I truly there's truly like a place for me, a place um, in me that's here, and there's a place in me that's there, and they can coexist. And unfortunately, I can't exist in two places at once, or I would. But um, you know, best I can do is kind of like spend some time here, and then when yeah. it's time. 
spend some time there. That's cool. Yeah, um, you mentioned living in Vermont, right? In your in your earlier life, yeah. um, it's it's such a different experience out there. Even though, like, it's such a huge, um, there's such a community of furniture makers there, but it's you know an entirely different type of furniture maker. So it'd be interesting to see, like, if you moved out to an area like that, if your design would uh, change to a more contemporary or a not contemporary, but a more uh, traditional style. Yeah. I mean, if I wanted to sell it and I was smart, I probably would, but knowing yeah. myself, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it would change in some way, you know, maybe like the materials that are present there. Like, you know, to me, metal is a very urban industrial mm-hmm. material. Like, that material feels right here in New York City. Oh, interesting. Um, I don't know if it would really right. work in Vermont. Um, hmm. But it's yeah. also interesting, like, because you're, you're not, you know, if you're working somewhere, it's not necessarily where in this global world, you know, unless you have a shop, little shop, like, uh, it's not necessarily where your clients are. So, like, your yeah. context is, is, you know, not necessarily their context. So, I don't know if it, I don't know if it matters, but I think I would be more, I think I would be like less um, drawn to metal. Mm, just because it's not really part of your, your environment. Yeah. It, it's hard to like not draw inspiration from what's around you all the time. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, how metal really only plays a role in these large cities and you know you go out to somewhere like Vermont and you, you don't really see it in structure I mean if anything it's you know, hidden behind wood cladding or something yeah yeah hmm. yeah yeah I mean I I try not to be directly influenced by my immediate surroundings but it's you know it's something you subconsciously do for sure but it's definitely something I love about metal is like you don't find it in any of these like kind of traditional furniture catalogs or like, you know, in the over of traditional furniture, there's, there's no metal. Uh, And and it's, it's relatively new and it's, and it's newer to like the uh, artisanal and furniture world. Um, Obviously structurally it's, it's older in some ways, but I feel like there's still so much that can be done with the material that hasn't been. Whereas with certain other materials, I feel like, uh, you know, they've been so thoroughly explored. Um, So metal is still exciting to me in that way where I feel like there's, there's more that can be done with it than, than what has been done. So there's, there's still like untapped potential in the material in some way. Yeah. I like that. That's a good, uh, good outlook on the use of that material. Uh, so maybe that's just me because I'm, uh, you know, cause I know metal, like, you know, I'm sure like if I were more used to imagining things in wood, I would be like, Oh, like you can do so much in wood that hasn't been done yet. Like, you know, it's all, it's only limited by your imagination. And that's what to me it's important also to like, as we were talking about at the beginning, like to 
to know how to actually make things, to know how things go together, I think you're limited by, your imagination is limited by kind of how much you know is possible. And, you know, if you, if I'm constantly getting ideas of how to, you know, for, for, for pieces, for works that um, come from like, you know, some, some custom fabrication job that, you know, idea wise has nothing to do with it, but like this, this really cool, like moment in the fabrication that I'm like, Oh, like I can do this thing that way. Right. right. You're yeah. kind of like building a toolkit for a future idea. I mean, your, your imagination expands as your, as your knowledge base does and your um, understanding of what's possible with the material. Mm. Do you have any, um, any really cool designers or makers right now that you could reference just so people can check them out? Sure. Uh, oh man. I'm so, I, know, I, put I mean, I, I, discovered, uh, I discovered Elisa Sullivan recently who does these like creature like silicone things with a uh, everyday gallery. I think she shows with, um, and I love them. Um, see, um, Jamila McEwen is doing some really awesome stuff, both with like mushrooms and earth structures and kind of underground things. Um, and there's another person who's like, who I discovered recently on Instagram where I'm like, oh, wow, like this is so after my heart. Um, mm. I'm, I'm spacing on the name at the moment. I was actually, I'm just looking up one right now that I wanted to share with you. I can't remember the name of it either. It's so hard. There's so many people out there. Yeah. Um, but it, it reminded me of your work because it, it uh, you know, meshes this like natural with the, with the man made. Oh, sorry. I'm just looking here. It's this, uh, it's this really cool um, cabinet. It's like a a giant, uh, like a waxed aluminum cabinet that has this center piece that's like this rock or stone uh, that looks like it's just like floating in this like metal monolith. And it looks so awesome. I can't remember the name of it right now, but I'm trying to find it for you. I should try to find one. I can... Uh, clip this here so people don't have to listen to us and i mean i will say like as much as i I, like i'm not a social media person but i've recently gotten kind of more active on instagram and i'm like really impressed by how many people there are doing really like amazing stuff yeah i mean it's it's hard to to uh to promote yourself nowadays and there's so much um so much kind of competing stuff out online but i mean that's really the only place that i'm able to um spread my work and find um you know people who are interested especially if you're designing something that's niche in any way uh, you know it's hard to find an audience but i mean social media is great for that and you know it's terrible for other things it's terrible for your your well-being in many ways but it's great for somebody um Somebody commissioned me to to produce three 
three new editions of older works and send to to Shanghai. Um, oh, that's awesome. Who, who discovered me like solely through Instagram. And really? I mean, and so they just, they just got credit and left last week. But I mean, it was like, uh, I mean, I was like, is this real? Like, uh, it made me realize that like, oh, there is this like potential in this platform. Right. You're like, there really to, are people uh, out there. New audiences and to, to actually like, you know, um, get your, get your work out there and, and do it. Yeah, that's cool. That it's always, um, a huge surprise to me when I actually, you know, make a sale online because it feels like it came out of nowhere. Um, you know, you forget that you're putting it out there and there actually are people receiving it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't find the one that I was looking for, but this person is really incredible. Casey McAfferty. Oh yeah. McAfferty. I know. Is that, do, is it woodwork? It's like yeah. the highly, uh, like highly sculpted. Yes. Yeah. I know that. Um, I know also. <laughs> I'll go ahead and give them a shout out because those pieces are incredible. And again, it's something, it's so different to me. Like I don't really do any sculpture. So when I see like your work or their work, it's like, it's just a completely change of, like a change of pace for me that I can't even imagine making. And it's so um, like, it's determined right on the spot how it's going to look and it's you can't really plan for it because you're sculpting it like out of you know out of whatever material and it's just like in the moment in a way that I don't really get to do yeah I mean you know I guess I'll say like there's a lot of like most of my work there's a lot of planning really and I it's just like planned I try to plan it so that it doesn't look planned you know, <laughs> or yeah. so that it looks, you know, so that it looks like a natural gesture. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's really hard to make something that is uh, like durable, functional, and sculptural, organic form. Like it, you gotta like gotta. I mean, I think I maybe you know again going back to like Shape Studios, like that is it's helped me go through that process in a in a robust way <laughs> uh, rather than just like jumping into it and like sculpting something and being like oh crap like it doesn't like you know doesn't really like feel right or it's gonna like fall apart or yeah. this or that um or like oh crap now i can't do the other part of this that i was gonna do because i just jumped right in like didn't <laughs> yeah didn't plan accordingly <laughs> Yeah, I've tried to do like free form woodworking in that way where I'll just sit down with like some scrap pieces and I'm like, I'm going to build something out of this. And every time I hit like a point where I'm like, oh, shit, I should have made this longer. So I have more space or whatever, you know, you always hit a, a point where you're like, oh, I, I have to restart now. And I don't really like doing that. So I usually plan a lot in advance. Yeah, I mean, I have so much respect for people who are able to like you know, work in this really free gestural way. And in some way it's like, I, I romanticize it. Me too. But it's like, it's just not the way I work. I'm, I'm kind of like neurotic and careful and. Yeah. Uh, and, and even like sketching like for me. Slow. I can't make like, I can't make, you know, 
10 pieces in a month and make like <laughs> one. I, I, it's like takes a while you know <laughs> yeah and you know there's no right way there's definitely something to be said for both of those things for sure for sure um so what do you picture the future of your work looking like what are some goals you have for the foreseeable future and you know wh- where do you see yourself uh, what do you see accomplishing and what do you kind of envision for the company and uh, you know not to ask too many questions but just kind of what do you see yeah. out of the next five years or so yeah I mean my goal is really to um, have shape studio become the kind of fabrication arm of my studio <laughs> correct mm. so I mean my goal is to to make and sell enough work that I can really not be doing custom work for other, you know, for other designers and artists and mm-hmm. really just be produ- you know, designing, conceptualizing, inventing and producing uh, my own designs, my own work. Um, uh, I mean, I would like to keep my same team. I'd like to keep my shop and I'd like to keep all those things intact, but to gradually transition to uh, just producing this stuff. Um, that's definitely definitely the goal. And that's been the goal like, kind of since I, like uh, we were talking when I started, first started my own shop, it was really a place to have a studio and also make a living. So like, I feel like I'm finally at the point, um, where I can, I can make that happen. Um, and so I'm, I'm pushing, I'm pushing my stuff, um, starting to, and, uh, hopefully it's going to happen. Yeah, man, that's, (laughs) that's really cool to hear. And, you know, I think that'll be inspiring for a lot of people who are, you know, not quite at that point yet. I mean, it certainly is not there. To me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to will it into being. <laughs> right. I, I totally with you. I mean, I, I still work full time, but you know, I've got the studio, got the shop and just try to push every day to get to a point where I can become self-sufficient too. So it's, yeah, uh, it's hard. I mean, that's the goal. Right? It's every, every like designer's goal who isn't, you know, designing their own work full time is to do that. (laughs) Yeah, man. But yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've got it figured out and uh, I got all the hoping the best for you for sure out there. Uh, And I hope you uh, stay safe out uh, during Corona times too. I know it's pretty wild in New York. So yeah, it's why it's a wild, wild world these days, but uh, (laughs) yeah, Um, we'll get to it. I'm glad we didn't get too into that. I know that's a bit of a, a wormhole right now. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I uh, hope that next time I'm able to go to New York, we can get together and grab lunch or something. Yeah. Always, my studio is always open to you. Cool, man. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks again for doing this. Um, likewise, if I'm in LA. Yeah, totally. Yeah, let me know. Uh, do you have a you know, social you want to plug for people to find you or anything? Uh, sure. You can follow, uh, at JJJ McDonald, uh, on Instagram. Cool. It's pretty much the only one I do. Awesome, man. All right. Well, uh, yeah, thanks again for doing this and, um, 
thanks for listening you guys and um go follow jay and follow the podcast and uh jay once again thank you for being on and uh i'll talk to you sometime soon hopefully thanks so much for having me it's good talking yeah you too man bye okay. Thank you.